0: As a journalist who has covered the finance sector over the last five years, I've had the opportunity to interview and engage with some of the best minds in the space. Leaving big bank earnings reports to the boring traditional media firms, I'll focus on the tech-savvy apps, digital investing platforms, challenger banks, and payment giants to drive relevant content that looks forward to disruption instead of fearing it. I'm Nicole Kasperson, fintech journalist, and this is What the Fintech. We are taking a brief break to share a message from our friends over at Street. Bring your portfolio to the future with alternative investments. Street's investment products are designed to generate income and build long-term wealth. Explore investments in art, real estate, venture capital, and more, with minimum starting at $500. You deserve access to alternative investments traditionally reserved for only the ultra wealthy. Now, back to the show.
1: What is good
0: everyone? Welcome to What the Fintech, the Fintech podcast for professionals who are ready to shape our industry with innovation and inclusion. I'm your host Nicole Kasperson and I'm here to explain what the F is going on in fintech so that you have the news, analysis and insights you need to stay ahead. I'm so excited because today I debut my first podcast with a woman who embodies everything I want this show to stand for. I'd like to welcome Lule Demissi. She is the CEO of eToro US, a digital currency trading platform that connects more than 20 million users worldwide. eToro is also slated to go public via SPAC, valuing the company at over $10 billion. As for Lule, she once was wealth management director at TD Ameritrade and more recently, president at Ally Invest. She's also a fierce inspiration for representation in fintech. She's got swag and street cred, and I'm so excited for her to be here. Lule, welcome to What the Fintech. I'm delighted to be here, and I'm so proud of you, Nicole, seeing your trajectory. So I'm looking forward to our conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. How? Are, first of all, how are you today? Are you in Brooklyn? Are you working from home today?
1: You know, what's so fascinating is like I, uh, I, this, if my days are always mixed, sometimes I'm in the office, which have been, we have an office in Jersey city and days I hear I'm in here in Brooklyn as well. So that's one of the great things about working for FinTech is that, you know, they kind of bend the rules in terms of like what works for productivity. Um, so I'm all over the place and yet my camera takes me all over the globe every day um, because I do work with a, um, a global company as well as a company that has footprint everywhere else. So it's pretty, exciting.
0: I'm, you know, whatever my location, I'm always somewhere in the globe. Right, right. Exactly. And, um, well, I'm in BK right now, just made the move. Uh, so, so excited to kind of, uh, jump into your personal story first. Speaking of traveling around the globe, uh, your story is so compelling and so critical to your success as an industry leader. Before we talk shop, I do want to ask about your upbringing, growing up Ethiopian, living in different countries and coming to America as a teenager. How does that shape your experiences as a leader?
1: Oh, in so many ways. In um, one way, it shapes it in the sense that, you know, I, I grew up on, you know, in four different countries by the time I was 18. Um, and of those, I think there were like three continents. And um you know, what it does is it allows you to sort of inform how to meet people on their terms and then allow them to then come to you on yours. And I find that that's actually one of the most effective things that my background has given me is like how to make bridges <clears throat> and then actually coax people to cross that bridge. And then it gets me the ability to teach them about, about where I come from and for the people that look like me. And, underrepresented, but it also allows them to see that I see them. So it's been a really valuable thing having uh, been, as I call it, a vagabond in my life. Um, and and in that sense, that's the the hard way, that, you know, that's the fundamental ways that it's shaped my, my outlook. But the other thing it's done obviously is that, you know, I don't want to be the only one who looks like me in the room. And so I'm very deliberate about um, mentoring and shaping for an inclusive culture at every level of, of finance and in my life in general.
0: Mm -hmm. And when you reflect back on your personal experiences, what are those core values of eToro that align with you to decide to lead their U.S. expansion?
1: Oh, my God. Um, It's just it's en fuego, right? Like, it's just phenomenal. I'm so excited to be here. Um, (laughs) And, you know, it's interesting to be in a fintech sort of like I've been here now almost uh, two months, almost a month and a half, and I think I've been here forever. <laughs> and, uh, it's, not, and it's not because <laughs> it's not. That's what It does, yeah. No, I don't mean it in any negative way, but I, I definitely feel <laughs> like, like I found every move I make, I'm enthusiastic about the place that I'm at, and I, it's no different here it's an exciting place. It's a place where, you know, their commitment to the end consumer in the realist sense of the word, um, you know, busting the barriers for retail investors and then bringing innovation to that conversation, whether it's in the terms of like the social trading platform that we have or the multi-asset platforms that we will have. Um, It's just, it's really exciting to be at a business where the things sometimes um, traditional companies Treat as a periphery. Where at Utoru, it's the, it's the co, it's the actual hardcore element of the of the service, which is incredibly exciting.
0: Yeah, I, I hear you there. I mean, I recently made a career switch, which is why I'm here today on my debut podcast on uh, with the, with the our friends Work Week, and uh, it means a lot to be able to wake up every day and actually enjoy what you do, and um, you know, working in the roles that we do, it's definitely hard and it takes a lot of grit and um a lot of perseverance and we're tired but like you know what how rewarding is it to just actually be able to like feel good and smile and work for a company that actually puts people first yeah Uh, that's something that i think we're just now seeing or feeling even maybe just because of the pandemic but it's been a wild ride
1: you know it's interesting i I do i do value that and i think people first for me is um an important tenant but the other thing that's important at tenant that I often you know, coach people around is also you need to go to a place where you're constantly learning. And that's not always aligned with everything that you need out of a company. Um, but it is important to also learn, uh, frenetically learn, hungrily learn for our, our careers and our ability. As I said, if we're going to have more diverse people in the room and the decision making room, we have to make more diverse people have more experiences and make the playing, mm-hmm. group, make, make the playing ground, the ground also fair, right? Um, so mm-hmm. it, I loved Ally. Like it's, it was never about not loving the, the company and the they were such a people-centered company. I love TD Ameritrade. For me, um, and I love Itoro, it's a phenomenally warm place to be. It's always also been as to where am I gonna learn? Where am I closest to the fire to learn? Um, And it's something I'm often coaching people to to remember, especially when they're starting out in their careers, like playing it safe doesn't work in terms of creating more opportunities for yourself.
0: I I totally get that. Um, I got called brave a lot for making the career change I did, and I almost felt uh, the opposite. I feel like it would have been scarier to not uh, jump or bet on myself or all those things because that's actually when it gets scarier, um, to, to not put the, um, kind of that, that's kind of self backing of yourself being your own self advocate. So I love that. I mean, speaking of just the social part of FinTech and, you know, careers and just the work we do, and even just growing your wealth when it comes to the, you know, specifically the social part of FinTech investing apps, do you see uh, this competitive advantage for eToro with its social and community-driven functions? And you know, why do you feel that really will give you guys that, that leg up, especially as you expand you know, into this U.S. market?
1: You know, there's several things that give a company a competitive advantage, right? So traditionally, it's about what feature differences you have. If you look at it from like the classic sense of it, right? What feature differences you have, what product offering differences you have. And those are very important. What price point differences you have. And those are very important. And in that moment, in that flash of a moment, yes, those things matter. But I actually think the true enduring differentiation is what kind of company are you building? Is it a thinking and doing company that is non-hierarchical, that is networked, that is constantly looking to adapt, or are you creating a company that is hierarchical and is not really structured for innovative thinking and 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 unleashing unleashing potential, if you will, right? So I think both of them are really important, but from the sort of the the flash of the day, if you will, why why I think eToro has such a competitive advantage is because what I just talked about, so many of the things that I think that are secular trends, social right? If social has disrupted everywhere else, why do we think it's not going to disrupt investing as it already has, right? So social is at the core of the platform. Multi-asset, right? Individuals don't want to be going to like a million different places and have horrible user experiences to be able to invest in a wide array of things, right? So multi-asset and that simplicity of UI that comes with that. Um, education, right? Ultimately, like we um, we not only think of social in terms of sort of the sharing of um, information, but also, you know, our own education that we uh, bring about um, from our own capabilities and insights and things that make it sort of accessible for consumers. Um, and then lastly, of course, you know, it's the fact that we're, we're in the future going to be coming up with our really interesting capabilities for, for investors on copy trading, which is the ability to be able to follow um, an investor out, in, you know, in the, in the on our platform for which you like their strategy or what they're doing, and you can actually see what they're doing and, and benefit from that if you if, if you wish to. So there's some really interesting features that make it, again, they took something that is already a secular trend and put it into the code of the actual product, which I think is phenomenal, right? But then when I look at the longer term differentiation that I mentioned, what I'm excited about building in the US is building that enduring Thinking culture, the thinking doers, as I call it, uh, the courageous part that you talked about, right? Like um, for me, the call to courage is one of the most important things in any kind of team building exercise. So, what kind of business t- t- you know culture that I'm helping to build out here that is a thinking doing culture that that leans in with courage, but also leans in with you know with the respect of the individual investor, with the respect of the regulatory environment we're in, and then with the respect of innovation and what that can do for individual investors and flattening the playing field. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: I mean, there is something to just leading with innovation and inclusion. I mean, it's the entire theme of what I'm getting at here uh, with fintech and interviewing people like yourself. And I'm definitely a firm believer that fintech and that content creation is a key way to combat the financial education threat that America has frankly faced for years. I'd love to hear about some of those examples of how eToro addresses financial literacy. I, I know the, the copy trading is such a cool feature. I mean, obviously, uh, social media is maybe influenced by that feature because of the fact that, you know, we can't deny that people love to follow and, and kind of copy trade, if you will. Yeah. Uh, the other things that people that they are influenced by and, and, and aspire to be like.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I really do think there's an ability to the wisdom of the crowd. But what we have to make sure we do is as consumers um, be discerning about that. Right. And one of the things that I think we have an opportunity at Etoro to do is to create content that also is coming out of Etoro to help understand and decipher the market in an easy way way, understand different investment instruments in an easy way, which we do on a regular basis. We have a lot of um, interesting content that we produce that we try to put on our platforms. Um, the other thing I'd say is, you know, for, from from my perspective, we're actually awash with information. We live in an era of information, right? You can go on any website or any, you know, search site and find all sorts of information. I actually think we're living in an era of an abundance of information, what we are oh, all of us thirsty what, sort of thirsty for is how to decipher it, how to not be um, overwhelmed by it. And that I think is our opportunity, both for you, frankly, as a, as a communicator and a person who's such a champion of investing, but also for shops like us, how do we help people create um, context? How do they learn how to know of the 10 things they're reading, the three are the ones that matter? Uh, what do those three mean? Why are those three happening? So I think that that is going to be the key differential is not the abundance of content, but actually the abundance of context.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, how do you think you can go about just, you know, from the platform provider, right? Standpoint and providing those narrowed um, pieces of content that makes sense for the user and your audience. I mean, how do you even go about making sure that, you know, you're getting the right pieces of content in front of the right, people? Is it just, you know, algorithms and technology, basically? Well, I mean, perhaps, but not on
1: their own, as we've learned, right? <laughs> not on their own. Um, I think it depends. One of the tenants that I, I believe in is you have to meet people where they are, which is why I'm so excited that we are a, a social platform. This is where people are, right? You have to meet people where they are. And then the other thing you have to do is make sure you're doing it in, in bite sizes and things that respect the way they think and work right now right? Nobody has the time to be reading essays and 50-page uh, white papers, at least not everyone, right? So how do you make it so that whether it's a social feed that you're creating or a post that we're putting together or a short white paper, short is the right case, that we're writing, or having a bench of experts that are educating people on a wrong time on, 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 um, in a verbal sense, all of those things matter. But I think the most important thing so are you meeting people where they are? Because if you're outside of the rhythm of my behavior, it doesn't matter how great your content is
0: yeah, exactly and um, and that's kind of the power of social media. I uh, saw a tweet once uh, explaining I think it was from like a prominent crypto influencer, um, and he said that. You can learn more about investing in crypto off of social media or YouTube than you could spending, you know, a bunch of money going to college. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of differing views of that, but from my view, I definitely couldn't help but uh, acknowledge that the influence that social has and the free access. Right? Someone commented on that that tweet and said, "Yeah, but you know, in college you can." get um you know such a bigger wealth of knowledge or something like that and it's like but not everyone can actually afford to go do that so it was it's such a like interesting conversation around that I think and so it's um just so cool to see platforms like eToro leverage that right like these these secular trends like you said and put it right in the front um because I think that that's just where our industry like that's not just where our industry is heading it's where every single industry is heading and there's no way around this. Absolutely. so like get on board or
1: Yeah. Like, are you going to go lean into that disruption and and forge something that is exciting and fairer and flatter for the world? Or are you going to resist that disruption? And I love the fact that eToro decided, no, we're not resisting it. We're going to forge the tower that helps it, that we're going to forge the bridge that helps that. Right. One of the reasons I love this platform is like I've always been an and kind of an investor rather than an or. And what I mean by that is sort of like, I I find it so interesting when people always have binary arguments about progress. It's sort of like, oh, social investing is bad or because traditional investors are good. I'm like, what about that both of them have pros and cons and we actually have an and approach and become discerning consumers of both. And so I've always had, you know, it's like what improv artists tell you, right? Like what's the and build? And I think we are living in an era of an and and so if you are a person that is and-oriented, you're going to juice every value out of these disruptions. But if you're resistant to change and you're a very much an or kind of thinker, I think what happens is either change happens and your mental framework hasn't gone along with it and so you're really behind, or ultimately you will lose, right? In the end, you will... I mean, change always wins, right? <laughs> Yeah, you change always wins. Uh, So the question really becomes like, are you adaptive and able to to take that change and use it as a diesel for your own transformation? Um, Or are you going to be a victim to it? And I think, you know, fintech is in that in that in that sort of bird's eye view as every other industry is.
0: Exactly, I mean, what a great message for the FinTech industry. So everyone listening in, listen to everything that she just said. I mean, obviously we're all already in on this, right? Because that's the whole reason we're here in FinTech is to do that, is to disrupt financial services, is to say, hey, innovation and inclusion can be first. It's to say we don't have to do it all the traditional way and that we can do things another way and open up access to a larger breadth of people and way more people than we ever thought possible. We have the technology for everyone to win, why not use it? So I love it. Change always wins. I'm sticking with that. I'm getting a t-shirt that says that. I love it. It's gonna say that with your with your name and quotes. Amazing. Gonna gonna get that merch going. We are going to take a short break to share a message from our friends over at Yield Street. Evolving markets require an alternative approach to investing. Cut through the volatility with Yield Street investments that target fixed durations and income generation. Explore investments in art, real estate, venture capital, and more, with minimum starting at $500 and targeting annual yields of up to 18%. Discover the difference of a diverse portfolio with Yield Street. Now, back to the show. Um, I do want to ask about regulation as well. Uh, you kind of mentioned it a little bit. And regulators, they've been outspoken about, you know, content and fintech and online brokerages and all the things that they share. So how are you navigating all of the regulation noise?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important. Um, we are a highly regulated industry, right? Um, and for good reason. Um, this is people's future and and nest eggs and everything else. And so we come with it with a sense of respect about the fact that it is about the investor at the end of the day. From my perspective, you know, what we have to always be is incredible uh, stewards, but also keen students of what is happening, so we met, navigate our business both from the context of what the regulations are today and making sure that there's adherence there, but also ultimately making sure as we innovate that is in line with the spirit of what is what is what is there to shape a safer environment for the investor right um so I think you know yeah there's no secret the regulatory environment is is uh is changing. And there's uh, sort of all sorts of ideas that we're seeing published left and right. But I think the most important thing is this, that if we freeze up again, back to the thing about change always wins, right? Change is going to come. I don't know what it is. I mean, I don't have a glass ball to know everything, right? But ultimately, if we freeze up and we don't make it an opportunity for transformation, then I think again, (laughs) change wins in different ways, right? Ultimately, that you have essentially frozen up at the point of intersection where that landscape could be changing. And so what we're choosing to do is how to get smarter, how to get, um, you know, again, adhere to the values that we brought to the table, investor first. Uh, access to all sorts of um, investing capabilities, access to education, access to ease of use, barrier to entry removal, right? Whether it's fractional shares that we're about to, you know, we have um, and all the kind of things that are barriers to an investor's entry. We feel that if we stick to those values and be our uh, stewards of that sort of students of that regulatory
0: environment, in the end, the teachings will come as that change happens. Exactly. It's, Uh, It's about working, you know, in tandem together and not pretending or feeling like you guys are, and by you guys, I mean, you know, the fintechs and then the regulators are, uh, you know, need to work in silos and not together. I mean, you know, it's um, common to think about the narrative of how fintech and technology innovations has always outpaced regulations. So, you know, maybe we need to like step back and help them out so that they can uh, keep up with us or, you know, and kind of see it more as a. Friend, not foe situation. So I love no, kind they're of pretty debunking smart that. Their their I, own think... volition.
1: <laughs> I said they're yeah. pretty smart. So I, you know, again, it's right. like, it's such an exciting place. Like, I, I, you know, I remember I used to have a general counsel who once told me, like, Lule, if we wanted to be in the ice cream selling business, we would be in the ice cream selling business. Like, financial services ain't ice cream, right? Um, so, but then it's really interesting, <laughs> right? It's really interesting, though, because it's complex and it, it stretches our minds and our imaginations yeah. in different ways.
0: Mm -hmm, Exactly. And we can always work together. It's always better to help each other. I'm always an advocate for that. And kind of speaking about uh, access, I do want to also talk a little bit about uh, eToro's uh, platform that is heavily focused on uh, crypto trading and that access to crypto. So how do you see crypto influencing the fintech industry I guess overall, uh, I think we're seeing just so much conversation around is crypto fintech. I definitely think it is. Is um, you know, are they kind of things that merge together? Are they you know separate entities? Then there's DeFi. I mean, what is? How are you deconstructing all of the crypto craze? Uh, especially with your platforms focusing so much on it? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think the first thing you have to do is kind of respect the fact that this is highly complex, right? And so I, I'm, I rarely try to just flippantly summarize this. I mean, it's, it's a pretty, um, you know, it, it, we're bringing complexity, but in some ways that complexity is also bringing so much opportunity for the investor, right? I think th- the first thing I'd say is let's like unpack that a little, right? You know, crypto definitely has brought a different, again, that point of my my end story, right? It's got it's brought an end to the equation of investing, which is really important. Um, and so I think a lot of people who've come into it have sort of found it to be a refreshing sort of place to learn about, not just about these coins, but also about the technology behind them. As I always tell, you know, my relatives who ask me about this. It doesn't matter whether you invest in crypto or not. What matters is you're curious about what technology innovation this is bringing. Right. So ultimately, I think there's yeah. two goals. One is the, the breadth of investing sort of capability that crypto is bringing and the optionality that it's bringing. But the second is also the learning that investors are, you know, and um, individuals are having. In this interesting technology of like DeFi and um, and uh, and what the underlying elements of, you know, of of uh, blockchain are and what 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 use cases that that uncouple, uh, sort of un, un, uncaps, if you will. So I think that mm-hmm. it's it's here to stay and it's an interesting part of our investment landscape. There is, again, as I said, there's no secret about it. There's all sorts of things we're figuring out as that matures in terms of what that looks like. Uh, But that comes with anything that is born and sees relevance. And now there's an element of like, okay, what's the next phase of that of that story?
0: Yeah. And I I love your outlook on that and uh, relating it back to the uh, fintech being an and industry instead of an or. uh, And I think that's exactly how fintech should uh, understand its relationship with crypto and Um, working kind of together with that uh, space. And um, I love that you mentioned being curious, right, is almost uh, more than enough, at least right now, especially for a young investor, someone just getting involved as we're seeing, you know, the the influx and spur and frenzy of more young people than ever before be interested in uh, fintech apps and financial services, mostly through the fintech apps. I mean, do you think that crypto is a really a truly great way to just for that first time investor to get involved in financial services? Uh, Or, you know, how do you think there's a better way or does it just depend?
1: There is no such thing as better. It's all depends on sort of where your appetite is, where your knowledge base is, where your um, desire to dabble is. So I try not to start with an asset class and say this. This is the first statement I tell everybody whatever you're investing in habits are whatever instruments you choose you can't afford to forfeit investing period and the reason i say that first is because i think sometimes as insight, as sort of industry insiders we're talking to like the 5% that's partaking and we're not realizing there's a bazillion other people that are not partaking. And we're talking about the 10th step in the journey. And we need to make sure that there are people who are intellectually curious and countering the first step. So nobody, unless they have a trust fund somewhere, can afford to forfeit the activity of investing. Okay, so then how do you get started? So I think the part where we have to make sure is that Again, so much what fintech has brought to the world, which is so great, is it's flattened barriers to entry, right? So I don't really care what company you start right. with, but start. When you first graduated from college, did you open an IRA and the 401k from your new employer? If you didn't, start. Um, When you saw what was in their investment menus, did you dabble with maybe something you started with, right? Like you feel familiar with? Um, Did you research it first as a matter of discipline? If not, research it, then start. If you're scared of investing right now, open the account. Just open the account. Nobody's like actually, you know, asking you to, to go to the next step if you're not. So I think the thing I want to make sure we constantly do is not start talking inside baseball and going to step 10 without first telling people the most important thing is you enter the game. So is crypto the right way to start? It depends who you are. But the most important thing is that you start. And we need to have a clarion call for people to make sure that they start.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I think it's it's, the call to action on the fintech industry. Uh, to get people to start. And I think we're finally seeing that and we're seeing more uh, apps pop up and and try to leverage that social aspect to just say, hey, you know, here's an easy start button, if you will, um, at least when it comes to access and just get started. And, you know, I love platforms like eToro that are really leveraging uh, educational content and rolling out products and services alongside those educational content. Uh, Sometimes the platforms engaging with users and content can get a bad rep, but I mean, what better way to really, you know, get into the front of the customer, to get in front of that first-time investor, to put education on the back burner doesn't make any sense. You're doing a disservice not just to, you know, the the person that uses your platform, but also to your company, because, you know, someone could get hurt or something, you know, bad could happen. So we have to do everything in our power to use all of this wonderful technology and the content and the socials to make sure that, you know, everyone's safe and, and gets to learn and have fun. That's why we're here. Yeah. Safe, fun. I mean, yeah. Fun, <laughs> right?
1: fun is so important. You're absolutely right. Like fun doesn't mean it's the absence of seriousness, right? Like, you know, investing is some serious business, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean it shouldn't be fun and interesting and all the other things. And that is what has always attracted me about the capital markets in general, It's like how it's like it's like a mental game. It's so interesting. Right. Um, And yet I never took it unseriously either. And those things can happen like you can be serious and have fun at the same time. Um, And then I think, you know, the other thing that's really important (laughs) is like, ultimately, um, from my perspective, how some investors, and especially, you know, back to our point about making this an um, an open tent and having diversity both in people who shape these products in fintech, um, as well as people who will consume them, is that ultimately you have to have people that you and me who look like this to say, I started and let me tell you my story of how I started. And I went in. And I conquered. And let me tell you how I did it. And ultimately, that is, I think, that telling, that storytelling of people who look different, that occupy this space, I think, has a very important role to play in widening that tent. So start, but also look who started. She started, she started, and that's also
0: important, right? She started, Lule started, I started, and so can you, whoever is listening and to the fintech professionals listening. You can help get more young girls, more people of color, more young people in general to get started. So that is our call to action to you guys. Let's make it happen. We're working on it. I am going to ask you also about eToro's expansion in the U.S. You've got a full plate. I'm lucky to have you here and so Uh, fortunate that you were able to make the time so what does the expansion roadmap look like i know you've only been here a few months in in the role and are just ramping up and just getting started but moving fast so you know what are those key examples of growth areas uh, that you really will think uh, take eToro to that next level
1: yeah, it's bringing so many of those innovations that eToro has globally that we want to bring to the U.S. market and also adapt it to the U.S. market, right? So that includes as we just, you know, we started out with crypto invest- investing, but um, we, we just piloted our stock offering and we're going to continue to expand and make that better. Our intention is to have a multi-asset platform. We're not going to stop there. We're going to have other types of assets that we bring. Um, to be able to explore the ability to have other features that are expected out of consumers here, right? Um, uh, enriching our wallet in terms of being able to have uh, access to those assets in a way that creates liquidity, Um, bringing the innovation of copy investing and trading into the US market. So there's a lot that's on our roadmap, enriching our ability to have that social footprint even more in this market, right? Um, So I'm really excited to bring the magic of what eToro has learned internationally to the U.S., but adapt it also to the market that, you know, to temperament and the taste of the U.S. investor. Um, And then lastly, just to build a team and a culture that I talked about earlier, right, you know, Products are as good as the teams and the culture that delivers them. And one of the goals I have is to build a team um, that's diverse, both in outlook and background, right? Uh, that is uh, these thinking doers. And there are some m- phenomenal people at eToro T- a- today, eToro a- US today. And I want to build off that strength and uh, keep growing the team and nurturing that culture as much as we are about building products and services.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that. And that perfectly leads into me wanting to ask you about the inclusion and representation in the fintech space, because it does take leaders like yourself to purposefully and intentionally look to bring uh, a diverse team to build out diverse teams. You know, I think it does, you know, it starts in the room where it happens. Shout out to Hamilton. You know, that's where it starts. And then that trickles down into uh, the products that you create and the innovation you create. And then the consumer that consumes all of the things that your diverse team created thanks to the diverse leadership. Like it's so connected and it's wild to me that people don't see this sometimes. And so definitely want to ask you about that. Obviously it's no shock that Women of color are still so underrepresented in fintech leadership roles. But I think one of my favorite things you've ever said to me is uh, you don't eat the elephant all in one go. You take one bite at a time. So what are some of those examples of ways the industry is making things progressively better and inclusive for more people?
1: Let me start with me first, because I think that's the hardest part to understand (laughs) the full industry's intent. Right. Um, I would say, you know, I, I am deliberate and incremental in my approach, but I'm eternally impatient. It's a very important to be, to be both, right? Like I don't think we should be patient for change, but then we have to be strategic about how incrementally we make it happen, right? And so that's where my comment about eating the elephant one bite at a time is, right? Because I think sometimes the desire for change to happen with no plan and no incremental strategic approach could actually just then it crashes into pure disappointment and disillusionment, right? So there's several things that I think it makes a difference. I do think it matters to have diversity in the decision room, period. I don't think it's enough to just say, we want diversity. You have to bring in the diversity. And to give you a shout out to your Hamilton, you know, I'm not going to waste my shot on that one. Yeah. But, so the second thing is like, uh, you know, so... Uh, most definitely we have to be deliberate about creating diversity of all ranks in the all ranks decision making process demographics is destiny and our customer base is going to be is diverse already right so ultimately this is catching up to reality the second reason i think diversity is going to be important is i'll tell you i've never worked on a team that's not diverse meaning it's dominantly one thing and that it was really innovative inevitably it'll start it'll run out of something because you're all looking at that you all have the same blind spots you all have the same assumptions right And the key the reason the magic potion of diversity beyond the fact that it's just so good for the soul um, and just so much more fun um, is that it actually cares for blind spot management in the development of anything right in the development of culture in the development of products. Uh, messaging, everything. And what a wonderful mechanism in any kind of innovative venture, right? To be able to have blind spot management and challenge each other in a way that's really interesting. Now, for some people, that could be like, oh, then we can't run fast, right? But that's, to me, that's the youngins, right? Because they're real, real sort of um, sort of people understand that once you understand how to navigate that diversity, you are you operate at a totally different level in terms of problem solving. Totally different level. Um, and so that to me is also an exciting thing to bring into the room is like that diversity of decision making that enriches not only the products but the quality of the decisions.
0: Yeah, I mean, and and then you have I love the part, you know obviously we want to avoid groupthink and uh to have to be in a room filled with people where you know your blind spots are going to get checked cuz none of us are perfect you know i'm not perfect just cuz i'm a woman of color and i'm young or all the things like i'm still learning a lot and i can make mistakes and we can all make mistakes it's why you have a blind spot checker if you will or in you know building a team like that where you have people that can watch your back and tell you hey maybe that wasn't the best thing or hey you know we need someone in this role for this or whatever the question is, you know, that when you're building out a fintech, uh, team or team anywhere, um, is to, you know, kind of keep that in mind because that really is how exactly, as you said, we'll have those more innovative products because it just, it will show and tell, and your consumers will be able to see it, you know, whether or not it's right in their face or not. Um, But with all of those kind of examples in mind, how do we scale that up? You know, what are maybe those tangible actions that fintech leaders can take to ensure that they're creating these teams and then, you know, thus creating more successful and innovative products for their users?
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny, like, it's a really good question. And the reason I don't flippantly answer it, because I respect the problem, right? Whenever I respect a problem, I don't have flippant answers, you know, um, Reed Hoffman once said in one of his podcasts, I think he said, in order to scale something, you first have to perfect it in a non-scalable way. And I actually think that's the answer, that mm. each of us have to come up and hold ourselves accountable to non-scalable things that actually show proof of results. Because what happens is when we reach for scale, inevitably, it abdicates us of individual responsibility. Because it's sort of like, why isn't that big ticket strategy sitting out there? And so then, so let's do the non-scalable thing first and hold ourselves accountable, for example, right? How many people, when you interview people, do you make sure that you are bringing in a diverse slate of people? Do you make sure the people that are interviewing them are diverse slate? How diverse is your network pool? How diverse is your is your social life? As we know, people hire from their social circles, right? So, like, I actually think I, 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 you know, I, I believe in that context of the, the the non-scalable first has to be held accountable in all of us, and the mass, and then the ab. When you add all of that, it becomes a collection of these habits and, cap- and things that we've incorporated into our lives that then make a meaningful shift in, this, in the culture, right? There are things we can do from a scalable perspective, of course, as companies. What kind of programs do we put in place? Do we put measuring sticks to make sure that we hold ourselves accountable, right? Um, and I think all of those are important, but I'll tell you, you will have more experts than me tell you about scalable programs. I really want us to hold ourselves accountable for our non-scalable actions.
0: I love it. I love it. Uh, you know, flip, flip a concept on its head, right. And uh, kind of bring it back. Cause maybe that's where um, the gap has lied when it comes to, um, you know, if you will kind of quote unquote, wanting to solve these issues, you have to acknowledge the problem and you have to recognize it. And it's why, you know, as much as it breaks my heart to have to report on certain stats, you know, like less than 1% of women being in, you know, C-suite roles or getting funding in fintech. And um, we have to acknowledge it. Like we us ignoring it is not done any good. Uh, and we have to completely, and I love that you say respect the problem because it takes acknowledging something and understanding it, you know, in full before we can really uh, create those tangible actions and maybe, or the scalable ones, as you said, right? And And also,
1: like, again, like, I think we we need to create personal KPIs for ourselves, right?
0: Yeah. One of my
1: personal (laughs) KPIs is that how many times, you know, a week or a month do I mentor people who don't look like the rest of the room to come into the room? Uh, You know, again, how actively do I diversify my network? You know, I think, again, if we all asked ourselves that, we will end up finding out where the problem is.
0: Yeah, and I think it's gonna, you know, and it will look different from every perspective, right? Uh, what the, you know, problem maybe is because we all have our own blind spots, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I love, I love that, and I think what, um, maybe sometimes happens, uh, especially when you are the only person that looks like you in a room. And I have felt this more than enough being in all male newsrooms or all, um, you know, not people of color newsrooms and. You know conferences and all that good stuff. Uh, But, you know, imposter syndrome is very real. And uh, I know that's something that you uh, have a great take on it. Honestly, I think it's one of those things where like, I feel imposter syndrome, and I just have to recognize it. And I'll take like a day or whatever it is to just be like, you know, I don't need a legacy publication behind me to create amazing content that people will want to listen to, because they'll appreciate my voice that Took me a bit to get to, um, for you, you know, how do you address your own relationship with imposter syndrome?
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, I never try to fire the imposter; she's always around. <laughs> you know, sometimes she's stronger than the uh, than other times. But I think part of it is also telling people she's here, mm-hmm. you know, and being honest. I think a lot of times there's a different that confuse people confuse, um, you know, being able to be confident. Being the same thing as not having vulnerabilities mm-hmm. and that's not the same thing um, I consider to myself to be a confident human being with vulnerabilities right um, and so I think one of the ways the irony of confidence is actually the more you embrace your vulnerability the more power you have and the ability to be more confident <laughs> it's the weirdest <laughs> sort of uh you know of virtuous circle. So first of all, it's like, I, I I don't try to kick her out of the room anymore. Um, and so sometimes she knows a lot. Sometimes she doesn't. Uh, uh, sometimes I know more than her. Uh, so part of it is also just like this levity that I create, right? And the ability to laugh at myself and and not be so driven by, by gaps and rather just embracing them. Um, the second thing is I really, really believe in failing out loud. I say it all the time. When you have the ability to fail out loud and not hide your failures, it's another thing that imposter doesn't have over you, right? Um, so there's things you should do to just start mm-hmm. to get yourself comfortable in your skin. And then the other thing that's really valuable about not trying to fire your imposter, but just figure out where sometimes they're here, sometimes they're not, is also um, your, your ability to be fearless. And fearlessness is essential to fire imposter syndrome. Right? Because ultimately, mm-hmm. what imposter syndrome does by definition is actually tells you not to take a risk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the most ironic thing, because if you don't take a risk, you don't learn. <laughs> um, and so I think the more you don't try to deny imposter syndrome, the more you figure out how to balance vulnerability versus confidence, I think the more than you're courageous to take on new things that teach you, and then the more you can mute that imposter.
0: Oh, so amazing. Such good advice. I think that Uh, Any woman, woman of color that is leading a fintech today can really appreciate everything that you just said, um, because it's something we all feel I love the idea of, you know, this, per- this vulnerable person is a part of the confident me. She is here. She's a part of me. We appreciate her. We appreciate everything that she does. And so thank you for being here. You know, it's not about making um, a part of you go away. It's about being one with all of your parts and understanding that sometimes you're confident, sometimes you're vulnerable. And it doesn't matter if, you know, you're Lule, the CEO of toro US, or, you know, Nicole, the podcaster or, you know, or a student learning about financial services for the first time. Um, you know, it happens to us all. And I think that we can really, um, grow together by understanding that we have that community and, um, we all are kind of in this together. So that's amazing. So speaking of kind of you and your role and kind of just wanting to get a little bit of a better understanding just of you as a human as well. I mean, we have very much on this, on this amazing conversation that is, you know, I'm going to dream about uh, for the rest of my career. Um, but you are a super busy person with a full plate. What keeps you balanced? What content are you consuming? You know, we, we love that knowledge is power. Knowledge about money is power. Knowledge about a lot of things is power. Um, so yeah, what kind of keeps you, you know, and you and your soul fed and, um, your core values really intact. Yeah, several things. I mean, nowadays, because
1: my work is so all consuming, so much of what I read is work related, right? So whether it's memos, legal memos, uh, regulatory stuff, marketing <laughs> material, it's related to work, right? Just because, you know, I'm consuming, I'm, <laughs> I'm eating the elephant quite quite quickly. Let us let me put it that way. Um, <laughs> so a lot of it is consumed by the work. Now, what's interesting is the intersection of my work and my interests are at one. So I'm actually reading and consuming all Sorts of stuff that's really interesting to me. What is true about my work is that, you know, like if you want to be in the eye of the hurricane and have challenges, there's no gettering around the fact that stress is a part of that, right? Like I, I often try to tell people: stress is is the reality of more responsibility and more exposure, right? But what I have learned over Mm -hmm. the years is how to make it so that it has short spurts of effect on me. So ultimately, I will either, uh, you know, after a very stressful call, go up and down and dance some music or I'll go for a walk or I'll talk Mm -hmm. to my wife who's hilarious or I'll meditate Mm -hmm. for five minutes. Meditation in short spurts is something I do a lot. Uh, So one thing I try to do is like, like literally detox that moment as fast as possible so I can be as present as possible for the next moment. Right. And that's one of the things that I've really tried to perfect over time is like the presence in the moment for whatever the thing I am doing, because it allows me to have both intellectual clarity to engage in that topic. But it also allows me to not have regrets. It's sort of like, what is that thing? You left it out on the feet on the field. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I don't have any regrets (laughs) after a certain point. And it's not because I didn't make tactical mistakes in that moment or I didn't have errors. It's just that I was there. You know, I was engaged and that happens. I promise you, Nicole, whatever conversation I'm in, the most grueling regulatory conversation, the most fascinating marketing conversation or the most interesting human conversation we're having here. Um, so I've really tried to perfect over time this art of presence. Um, and I find that when my day is over, oh, my God, I have lit all my f- parts of my brain. I've had such a fulfilling day um, and And I didn't have regrets. I may have tactical corrections I'm thinking about, but I don't hit the pillow thinking to myself, what a disaster, Uh, what Mm -hmm. this, right? It's all about like tactical corrections. And I think that is a really great place to be because it allows us to take on more challenges, the more resiliency, this muscle of resiliency that I'm talking about, which is all what what I'm saying, we do. The more we can consume in terms of responsibility, the more we can consume in terms of our careers and lean into it. So it's it's something I, I think you know I love to share because I think that um, I don't believe in exceptionalism. I really don't. I think there are people who've been shown the way and there are people who have not. Period. Now I'm not saying that there isn't a difference in people's uh, performance, right, or their desire. To be driven, yes, that is very true, right? There are people who can have more desire than less, but I actually don't think that it's about exceptionalism or not. So, one of the things I talk—the reason I talk about so much of my um, techniques—is I don't want this to be a mystery. These are some of the ways you can you can take on more responsibility, more stressful but exciting adventures in
0: your career. Mm -hmm. Amazing! Uh, So many great tips and uh, ways of just relieving stress, that's what I tend to do. I tend to just, you know, throw my favorite record on the vinyl, throw out my favorite YouTube music video and just like give myself a dance, you know, shake it off to some Doja Cat or Megan the Stallion and just like, <laughs> you know, yeah. And just, you know, remember that the, the, you know, the world's a great place and that I am, you know, tackling everything the best I can. And um, it is important every night to hit the pillow and know, you know, everything is, you know, happening as it should. And you're just doing the best you can. We're all just trying to survive. Uh, I think we learned that because of the pandemic and, you know, we'll continue to uh, grow and learn and understand each other better because of that. So amazing tips, fintech, CEOs, professionals, everyone, industry out there, even if maybe you're a consumer tuning in, uh, such amazing or from another industry, such amazing bits from Lule Demsi. Our, or herself, Thank you so much for joining me today. I do want to roll out the red carpet for you and ask your final thoughts. Please do tell us what the F we can expect from you next, what the F you think is coming up next in fintech, whichever one you like better, what's up, what the F is going on. <laughs>
1: Look at that (laughs) spiciness. Okay. Um, I mean, I think what is exciting is that I don't think this is, this is the tip of the spear. Um, Disruption is here to stay. And I think we can either decide as individuals and companies to ride that tiger, or we can be left behind over time. And so I think what's coming up is more of the same. So what's your game?
0: hey speaking of spicy okay i love that all right we spicy up in here we got the spicy takes and we're ending it on that note thank you so much that is a wrap i want to thank lule again for joining us i applaud thank you to our listeners for tuning in a and if you loved this episode be sure to hit the subscribe button and you can find me on all your favorite podcast platforms until next time talk to you all soon